Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're looking at the Series 3 Doomwatch episode, Waiting for a Knighthood. But before we start Waiting with a Knighthood, uh, it's important to mention that uh, Series 3 is not as complete as Series 2. And when I say it's not as complete, there are only three episodes in existence. Out of 13. Out of 13, which is bad. Um, So we have skipped three episodes that do not exist at this point. Now, I am thinking of putting something together elsewhere to summarize the missing episodes. But for the sake of knowing what's happened between Public Enemy and Waiting for a Knighthood, there are a couple of events that might be important that you know. So here is the very, very brief summary of the three missing episodes. Actually, it's not even a summary of the three episodes. It's a summary of the things you need to know in the three episodes. So here we go. After the events of Public Enemy, Ridge steals vials of lethal anthrax and holds the world to ransom unless they publish his manifesto about what needs to be done to save the world. His plan fails in part because of an old adversary of Ridge's, Commander Neil Stafford. After Ridge's plot is thwarted and he is committed to an asylum after an attempted suicide, Stafford is placed with Doomwatch as the minister's man to help wind Doomwatch down. But Stafford is a manipulator and manages to back the minister into going all in and double funding for Doomwatch and giving them new powers, new staff, and new headquarters. Hardcastle and Chantry are sent to pasture to keep them quiet about Ridge, and Bradley is promoted. And and there we are with um, Hmm. what you need to know. Yes, now, the not-so-short summary of Waiting for a Knighthood. A vicar is giving a sermon. It's a bizarre, rambling assemblage of incoherent thoughts. But it's not just the Holy Scripture. It's other incoherent (laughs) thoughts. And then the vicar collapses. In the pews that day, Dr. Anne Tarrant. Weeks later, Dr. Quist is relaxing on a Sunday afternoon at Anne Tarrant's cottage. The vicar's wife shows up to update Anne on the vicar's condition. He had lead poisoning, of all things. She takes a few jabs at Dr. Quist's atheism and makes some commentary on declining church attendance. Quist shocks her when he reveals he practically lives with Anne now. Anne lets her off her shocked horse by letting her in on a secret. Quist and Tarrant are married, but Tarrant has kept her maiden name. Back at Doomwatch's super-new high-tech headquarters, Quist puts Bradley on looking into how the vicar got lead poisoning. 
In the minister's office, his inside man in Doomwatch, Neil Stafford, is playing politics. He's warning the minister that having two insiders in Doomwatch is counterproductive. Bradley and Barbara's investigation turns up that the vicar was always renovating cars, a passion of his. And not only did he strip the parts in high-octane leaded gas, but the ground near his garage is highly contaminated with lead from the exhaust fumes. You know, John Ridge used to tinker with high-performance cars. Maybe he had lead poisoning, too. Quist hopes to get Ridge out of the nuthatch where he is being held after attempting to kill millions of people. So the team investigate the lead angle while Anne evaluates his current mental state. During the investigation at Ridge's rented muse, Bradley and Stafford meet Ridge's landlady's maid, who keeps an eye on the place. She learns from them that Ridge is in a sanatorium. Meanwhile, Richard Massingham, industry tycoon, is whining and dining his old friend, the minister. He wants him to understand, fully, that the car industry is vulnerable. If they want to make cheaper and better cars and sell more cars, they need lead to remain in petrol. Those overzealous Europeans have started to ban leaded petrol and even the Americans have fallen for the hysteria just because the air in Los Angeles is bad. Later, Massingham's son is kidnapped. Clues lead the police to a rich lady in the country, one of the stockholders in Massingham's country. Yes. She and her driver and his wife, her maid, saw the boy, but they didn't see anything suspicious happening. Stafford visits Ridge on Quist's orders to evaluate him, and who should turn up at the same time to visit Ridge? The rich woman's driver, or should I say Ridge's landlord's driver, or, or more specifically Ridge's landlord's maid's husband, the driver. She, the maid, is the kidnapper, and he's gone to Ridge for help. Ridge, still incarcerated, gives the info to Stafford. It seems the maid's son died of lead poisoning, which she now believes is auto industry's fault. So she has kidnapped Massingham's son, who is about the same age as her son when he died. What are her intentions? Revenge killing? A mentally unstable plot to replace her son with another child? It's never really clear. Could she be suffering from lead poisoning too? Doomwatch, look into that angle. Massingham wants the minister to publish something in all the papers, saying lead in petrol is safe, so the woman will release his boy. But the minister, while a political animal, does seem to understand that lead really is bad and demurs at the idea. He does reveal that Doomwatch's investigation into the kidnapping reveals that the maid's son probably died of lead poisoning from chewing on his collection of old-time lead toy soldiers. They will be publishing that in the papers. Perhaps it will help. Back at Doomwatch, and as an aside, Stafford points out the other mole in Doomwatch to Bradley and suggests he fire him. Ridge is also released from the sanatorium, and Stafford gives him a ride home. When Ridge gets there, he discovers the maid has been using his flat to keep the boy prisoner. So, all's well that ends well. Also, industry makes a preemptive marketing strike and announce a 25% reduction in lead in their products. Quiz points out to Anne a 25% decrease still leaves a massive amount of lead being released into the atmosphere. The end. So it's a whole new world for Doomwatch and we missed it all. On the way. Oh, what, what, uh, what are your thoughts on waiting for a knighthood? Well, I have to say the whole new world thing is, in a way, this is this is still very this is still very definitely doom watch and i'm not quite sure one of the one of the things i've come across a number of times in just sort of 
reading around a little bit here and there on Doom. I've been avoiding spoilers, as right. as you know. This is this is what I do. I dislike spoilers. I've not seen Doom much. I want to come to it fresh. But nevertheless, it's hard to escape the fact that there's quite a lot of discussion around that Series 3 is different and that it stops being the Davis and Peddler show and starts becoming the Dudley show. And so I was expecting big changes and clearly there are some changes here um, that, you know, gosh, uh, you know, change, changes in, in the cast in particular. Mm-hmm. And I think I think maybe the plots have been sexed up a bit in terms of bringing more thriller elements in. But at the same time, I was kind of reassured that there is a fundamentally Doomwatch basis to this episode in that it's all about lead in petrol. And I, and I it still tickles me. I did, I did enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's, it feels a little bit more like the Neil Stafford show um, to me. He, he does seem to have uh, almost the driving role. Everyone else seems to be kind of incidental to him, but um... well, he's 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 he is, as you say, a manipulator. I I'm disappointed not to have seen his introduction in in Fire and Brimstone. So we're coming in, and clearly we've got a guy with an agenda, and yet we haven't had the chance to read between the lines because we haven't been able to see his performance. Right, and and some of the things that we can't get because the episodes don't exist is that ridge goes i mean just so far off the rails it's it's unbelievable <laughs> frankly i would it i would is, have to see that episode to, to believe ridge has always seemed to me to be someone who isn't especially there, there are there are moments particularly at the start of series two where you kind of see that there is a there is a true believer in there mm-hmm. but that's still beneath what is fundamentally a, a, the character of someone who is quite out for himself and will do the expedient thing and is a bit like Stafford himself, a manipulator. Mm-hmm. So to to have him, it seems to me like Quist is and always has been the arch idealist. If you expect anyone to go off the rails, it's Quist. Yeah, but that's nevertheless. True. I guess, and like you say, you've got you've you've got to see it. It it if if what we're seeing is the kind of well, I I don't I don't know what we're seeing. I mean, I I read the uh, a more detailed synopsis of Fire and Brimstone the other day, and it it looks like it would have to be the kind of um, the 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 repressed idealist within Ridge, I guess, flipping you know. Flipping him out, and basically, uh, he he goes into a meltdown. He 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 has a complete breakdown, and yeah. he, he does uh, he does try to to commit suicide. So there is by chewing through his own thing. arm. I know, I know. <laughs> there 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 is then in this episode the suggestion, and I'm not quite sure still if we're supposed to take it seriously but the 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 suggestion that this is due to lead poisoning um i don't know what that tells us i guess we're not at the end of the ridge arc yet 
it's worth mentioning that Ridge, who has been in every single episode of the first and second series, was only in the first episode of this series, and then this is his second appearance this series. So, and and as you say, he's not he's not returned to the Doomwatch fold. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see what the what the Ridge arc brings us. But I'm, I'm Hardcastle and Chantry back. are just unceremoniously dumped without ever being seen. Yes, and and uh, I yeah I think I think that is a shame. Really, I think the way that Robert Powell left the show set the bar rather high for writing characters out. Obviously, you can't blow up everyone who leaves in a nuclear explosion, but yeah. it feels to me like, particularly the Hardcastle arc, they they never because he 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 appears in a story that's about him, or in which he is at least a a relatively pivotal character and then he just sort of is in the background or sometimes not even in it um chantry seems to have a little bit more to her but over the course of the second series neither of them really develop and oh, so I mean, we learn chantry's a bit unstable sure but where's it leading what, what, yeah. where, where where's any of it going what, what, you'd expect their departure to be connected with i i, I mean you'd expect with 2020 hindsight, as it were, that their their departure would be connected with the character arc in 1972. Well, maybe this is this is more par for the course. But um, I, I if I if I were those actors, I would I would be looking at what Robert Powell got and feeling a bit shortchanged, feeling they might have maybe insisted a bit more that they got a decent uh, decent burial. I mean, they could have been killed by anthrax by Ridge. <laughs> you know. Something of that nature, but yeah, they just apparently just don't get anything except a mention in, in I think, the second episode where they just say, well, if, you know, and, and in the second episode, this is where the minister has, is putting, um, w- one of the things that does come out of this, and I think it is important that we don't overlook it, is when Ridge is doing his thing, his crazy thing, the minister and Quist both basically come to an understanding that not only does Quist understand Ridge's motivations and sympathizes with them to some degree, so too does the minister, to a lesser degree. But that 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 the minister actually is sort of uh, supportive isn't the right word based on what we've seen, but that the the, the, the minister gets it. The stuff that Quist is telling him is not lost on him yes. over the years. He just chooses to do what is politically correct, not what he knows to be ecologically correct. And so knowing that... I was just going to say it's worth mentioning because the character of the minister is... It, this is not a new minister. This is the same minister who was last seen well last seen by us in flight into yesterday oh yeah which yeah. didn't did not end well for him it has to be said but he seems to have recovered and has now been back in although we haven't seen it in every episode of series 3 and not only that he's uh an, we know he's an ex major called Holroyd uh, he's addressed as uh, sir george george yes he's got a name now yeah so he he's an he's another character, you know, along with uh, Anne Tarrant, who 
you mentioned, but first appeared yep. in uh, Who Killed Toby Wren? Toby Wren. Uh, but Quiz but, Psychiatrist, yeah. Chris Psychiatrist, and, and she has appeared in every episode of this season, although I don't think that we were party to the fact that Chris has married her until this episode. No, I think that's correct. So that was a surprise. So, I mean, to the audience, that was a surprise, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's weird. But but I guess what we're, we're getting at is that Stafford also has apparently, even though he is there to wind Doom, his original remit is basically to go in there, be the man on the inside as they wind Doomwatch down. They can now finally reduce Doomwatch to just uh, a, an organization that they can tame and control. They're going to get rid of Quist. Uh, the minister initially doesn't accept his resignation because it would look bad, but what he's told Quist to do is you go find yourself a good job, and when you find yourself a good job that people will believe you'd leave for, then you take it and you leave. And in the process of that happening in the next episode, Stafford manipulates this around in such a way that not only does Quist not take the job, because he wouldn't have probably anyway, but that the minister has to go in all in on Doomwatch. And, and put his confidence behind them by doubling their budget, giving them new headquarters, giving Quist hiring capability to get more staff and, and all this stuff. So in a way, Stafford is empire building over there. Which is in a way, I mean, the, the, there, are, there are notable parallels between Stafford and, and Ridge, I think, in the sense that it, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem wildly odd that the minister should think that Stafford going to Doomwatch is a good idea because they've just lost Ridge, who is an ex-spy. So here they mm-hmm. are putting in someone from security that admittedly Ridge also has the scientific background and Stafford doesn't. Yep. But nevertheless, there's at least half a role for Stafford to do there. And then the way that Stafford conducts himself is a bit reminiscent of the way that Ridge behaves in the earlier episodes in series one and and leading up into um, who killed Toby Wren in the sense that he's quite, um, he's, it's not clear that he necessarily fully supports Quist, but he is interested in, in uh, the future of Doomwatch and his own position within it. And, and Mm -hmm. as you say, Stafford seems to be, Stafford seems to be empire building, but if I were Quist, I would, I would watch my back. I think that's a, I think that's fair. But he is he is getting Doomwatch up. Bradley's been promoted. He's in charge of a team of a team now. Yeah. And, yeah. and not, he not spends only, his not, time in front of a typewriter instead of a computer keyboard. Not, not only that, but we get to see uh, Bradley and Mason investigate where yeah. previously they were always and only ever in the office. And Barbara's been kind of promoted to Quiz PA now as opposed to the receptionist. So uh, there is a... Uh, an upgrade of those characters but they kind of needed to from a pro from a uh, from the storytelling point of view from the scripting point of view they need people who are going to go and do the this the sort of scientific field work the stuff that right you know originally would have been done by ridge and wren and then ridge chantry and uh hardcastle, hardcastle. but now ridge chantry and hardcastle have all gone so 
that's that's kind of what Barbara May, uh, Barbara Mason and uh, Colin Bradley are doing to 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 fill a void because mm-hmm. Stafford's obviously not a scientist, um, and the other uh, the, the the minister is still the minister, and and Tarrant is is uh, a psychiatrist, yeah. Yeah, she's 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 not she's she's not on the Doomwatch payroll. She's she whatever she does is uh, at least so far is is done as a as a, a favor to Quist more than anything else. Yeah. Now I believe, and it's very very hard to separate. You know, when you're looking through the when you're looking through the missing episodes and commentary, it's it's very hard to tell where these things go, but. Anne is an independent contractor for Doomwatch. So she is actually... Somehow. On the payroll, on a, I guess, a per-job basis. Okay. But I, but that seems to me like remarkably bad um, hiring practices for, uh, for Quist. I happen to know a psychiatrist we could send. My wife. Ooh, yeah. So I don't know if that's... If, if I, I can't tell if that's happened now already or whether that happens in many of the more missing episodes that follow this so that it's not it's not explicit in this episode that that's what's going no, on no not in this key, episode yeah her key her key role seems to be well she's she's uh, she's connected with the the leaded vicar and then she has an interview <laughs> yes. with with ridge so it doesn't seem to be something that is directly involved with progressing Doomwatch's investigation in this case. But I think it does touch on the fact that if if there's there's a certain convenience in doubling up there that that uh, you get an, you get another semi-detached member of the Doomwatch team if you're going to bring her in as a contractor. But she's also fulfilling a role in the show as Quist's um main squeeze confidant um, <laughs> all the rest of that. Um be, because we have a number of scenes that 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 are a discussion of of the case between them, which is obviously quite important to the structure of the the story. Um, and and yeah, it's it's an interesting relationship. And I liked the fact that they were secretly married but pretending to live in sin because it doesn't normally work that way around. And, no, uh, it it's it is weird. But I, I, I liked it. It was, it was it was almost like they were taking a they were they were they were they were ashamed of being convent, conventional and taking a pride in in flouting the norms that that obviously would have been much stronger in seventy two even than they are now, and yet that um, Tarrant took took pity on the poor woman who was obviously being kind to them despite the fact that she thought they were living in sin. Yes, and the fact that. Anne is a churchgoer. Yeah, there, there's a brief discussion there, but about uh, very brief discussion there about them, sort of the two of them, Quist and Tarrant, just not. We, we just don't go there, <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> Which you know, it, 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 it's weird. It's weird. And another thing that's weird is, um, as far as I know, "You Killed Toby Wren" was not written by Terry Nation, right? Oh, wait. Uh, Terrence Dudley, you mean? No, I mean Terry Nation. You mean Terry Nation? Yeah. Yeah, I mean the actual Terry Nation. The Why guy who names all his carrots. Because I he's the guy who names all his carrots. Terrence. Terrence. Terry yes. Nation. <laughs> yeah. 
He apparently does that a lot. You yes. can spot names yes. in his characters that are, and Tarrant is him. So, <laughs> and I've never heard of a human being named Tarrant. Is that a is that an English surname that's common? I I don't know anyone with the name, but then I don't know anyone called Massingham. But I don't think it's a particularly well. Royal Massingham. That sounds British, though. <laughs> well, yes. But, uh, yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Yes. Um. <laughs> but but no, I mean, you killed Toby Wren was one of Terence Dudley, so he introduced the character. Oh, was it? Yes, it was. Well, so he, I, I was because I, I was interested. Terence Dudley is obviously the the producer of the show. Um, well, I say obviously, Terence Dudley is the producer of the show. Listeners may or may not be aware of that fact. Um, and uh, Jerry Davis and Kit Peddler were the creators and lead writers on the show. If that I, that may not be the correct title, but yeah, um, yeah, but. Dudley wrote Tomorrow the Rat and Spectre at the Feast in series one. And then You Killed Toby Wren, which was obviously a key episode mm-hmm. because it resolves the, the series one cliffhanger. And then in, in series two, he's written the, the the opener and this one, which are so far the key John Ridge arc episodes in it. So he's he's certainly, um, he's he seems to be, Building up on the on the seeds that he's sown, and I and I thought you killed Toby Wren was a top notch episode. So I'm in, I'm in no way knocking it, even though I am going to have some criticisms of this story story structure. Mm, fair enough. Well, let's talk a little bit about for our listeners who may not be old enough to have lived through leaded gas. Fascinating thing. You don't have to be that old though. Well, I th- apparently you have to be less old to be in Britain than than in the United States. Because... Well, this is the thing. I remember, I mean, I'm not saying I'm that young, obviously, but I remember extremely well leaded petrol being phased out. And you could be in your 30s and you could remember lead in petrol. It was it See, was a that... new thing when they brought unleaded petrol in. And 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 this show was made two decades before and there's and they're they're explaining all of the things that are dangerous about leaded petrol and no one paid any attention for two decades oh, what was going we, on oh no it's worse than that we we knew that all the way back to the 40s 40s or the 50s i think and there was huge efforts to get it done and, and there was just absolutely a lock on keeping lead in gas despite the fact that we knew it was extremely dangerous it, it 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 it's a scandal. I mean, there there is an episode. If anyone wants to really go off off the rails here, there's an episode of the new Cosmos, and I cannot remember what the full name of the the, the first the first new Cosmos, which is with Neil deGrasse Tyson. And there's a whole episode that kind of goes into the whole leaded the history of leaded gas and the efforts to get it removed and how just absolutely villainous the people were to keep lead in gas uh over the time and it it, it, it's an eye-opener it's really an eye-opener but but i think what we get out of this story is that and i remember leaded gas being phased out when i was a kid and i am an old man (laughs) you know substantially 20 years older than you probably and 
it was when I was young. So it, they were phasing it out in the 70s in the United States. And if what I get is correct in this, we get Europe has decided at the point of this episode that they're going to get rid of lead. Mm. And the United States, which founded the Clean Air Act and ultimately the Environmental Protection Agency in 1970, was what started a little bit of that. And, and the, the bit about California is California got permission to establish stricter emissions guidelines because the, uh, the, the pollution in California, and particularly in Los Angeles, was extremely bad. And they got permission to have higher standards than the rest of the country. But guess what? There are so many cars in California that American car manufacturers just basically started complying with California emission standards because they didn't want to have to sell two sets of cars in the United States. So starting mid-70s is when we started to see it going on here. But if I get this, Britain isn't even contemplating actually doing anything yet at the time of this episode. So I'm thinking maybe Britain actually came to the game really late, particularly because, you know, if the Europeans are doing it, oh, we don't want to do that, right? So I I should look it up and I'm going to. So, Well, like I said, I rem- I, in the 80s, I remember you go to a petrol station, your choices were two star or four star. And then suddenly, you know, at the end of the decade, there was this massive... Oh, sudden awareness of various environmental issues you know the ozone layer cfcs and all the rest of it and one of the one of the notable manifestations of environmental awareness was that at petrol pumps you would see pumps with green handles which were your unleaded so you could now have four star or unleaded it, but it was a new thing it was and and i i'm astonished i i I would not 89. have expected, generally speaking, that the US would lead us on health and safety issues in general. <laughs> no, no one expects the US to lead anyone on health and safety well, issues. I mean, but I'm... There, there you are with your chlorinated chickens and everything. But we were literally two decades behind you on the, on the, on the lead in petrol. I, I'm astonished. 1989 for the UK. No wonder you remember it. Well, quite. Now, I don't know when we completely stopped offering it, but I know it was in the mid-70s that suddenly there was leaded and unleaded and new cars couldn't take leaded gas. But they, they continued to sell leaded gas for a long time because all the old cars on the road. That's one thing the United States will never do is, you know, try to try to phase out old cars and stuff so because that's just you know man's right to a car and cheap car and get to work and all that stuff but yeah yeah i mean you never see leaded now but i don't i couldn't tell you what date it ended but it looks like the the switchover became available in 89 in the uk so actual unleaded gas not just lower lower lead wow yes yes indeed that's amazing that's amazing um, and it, and it, so, but yes, we, we knew, we knew how bad it was. People, scientists knew how well, bad lead was. This, this and, thing and in the new episode. It's all, it's all in the episode, but it, but it's interesting that it seems, it seems to be that pollution is now the thing. So following on from public enemy, we had Ridge trying to hold the world's governments to ransom over pollution. 
and the the theme i mean this is just a variation on the theme and there's the light everyone seems to be jumping on the anti-pollution bandwagon so they've really it seems like the show has got its bit between between its teeth on pollution in particular and i should say ridge is whole his manifesto is apparently an explanation to people why they are going to have to pay more to make the world better so exactly what ridge or what quist was saying at the end of public enemy mhm and 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 exactly what they're saying in this episode about the price of petrol going up what i don't understand is massingham says to 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 george um I, I'm going to call him the minister. I like the minister better. That's that's more <laughs> ominous. That's um, how he's credited. He says to the minister that the British automotive industry has a soft underbelly. And I'm unsure whether he's in the automotive industry or whether he's in the petrol industry. But but anyway, the British automotive industry has a soft underbelly if we're going to try to sell cars in Europe. And that makes no sense to me because if Europe is enacting legislation to reduce lead then it doesn't matter anything the minister does or tries to do to soften that british cars aren't gonna work over there just Hmm. like just like you wouldn't sell them in the united states because california wouldn't allow them and therefore there's no point in trying to sell them in alabama a separate type of car they just they just didn't do that and you know, I would think that the British automobile manufacturers, if they wanted to sell in Europe, would just have to make the cars work on what Europe could provide in terms of petrol. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a little... I'll tell you, one thing that, about this episode that does really kind of bother me, and that is, oh, uh, the vicar has lead poisoning. Okay, eh, fine, that happens. Although I will tell you right now, that my grandfather, who was an auto mechanic his entire life, um, the man was cleaning his parts in gasoline forever, into his 70s. He was doing that. Uh, And his 70s would have been just about the time they were beginning to phase out leaded gas in the United States. And uh, he never went crazy like that. I mean, I mean, we're talking a lot of cars, right? I mean, that's that's what he yeah. did from the Great talk, Depression on. A sample size n equals one. Yeah, and I mean, he died of cancer, which is probably caused by it. But but hey, soaking himself in gasoline all the time. But that's another story altogether. Um, it, it, so, but we've got the vicar, and I suppose, right? It it, it happens. I mean, nowadays, uh, I know for a fact that my house has some lead-based paint. In it. It's it's the right age. It's probably got some lead-based paint in it. And so if you're going to have it cleaned up and stripped, you got to have it done by a hazmat team. And, it, it, you know, it, that makes it seem like this is incredibly dangerous even to just do that. Whereas we know we were exposing our entire population to, to, to it continuously for decades. And they were all going crazy like the vicar. And, and suddenly it's the vicar and... It, oh, Ridge too. Turns out it was Ridge. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't Ridge actually being right. Kind of lets him off the hook for what for what he did. Is oh, it wasn't him. It was the lead talking. And and the the woman who kidnaps the boy 
was she suffering from lead poisoning too? And her son died of lead poisoning? And uh, were there any other lead poisoning in this episode? I mean, there was I enough of them. I, well, I don't, I don't think there was any suggestion that she was suffering from lead poisoning. I think. See, I thought there was when they were checking the windowsills and stuff in the house. They were looking for lead contamination in her flat. I, I, I think that it's reasonable that the, at this at this point in the in the longer story, they come across a case involving lead, and then they think to make a connection with what happened to to Ridge because they've come across a case involving lead. So, to me, that's not a coincidence. That is a cause and effect. The thing about this story that I'm not particularly wild about isn't so much the lead, all the all the lead connections. It's some of the other coincidences, some of the other doubling ups. Um, you know, the, the, for the similar principle to just landlords. <laughs> yeah, to to, to 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 <laughs> Anne being a being a contractor and being uh, Chris's other half. It's like here we've got a character who comes into the episode as someone who is a petrol industry tycoon. That's obviously relevant to the story because here's Doomwatch investigating something about unleaded petrol or, or rather leaded petrol and its effects and and. Here's someone who's clearly going to want to put pressure on the minister because their whole their whole thing is Lifestyle. is yeah it, it it's based on being able to claim that lead in petrol is safe so that's where the pressure's coming from okay fine but then it just goes a bit further when you get this kidnapping and it's their kid that's been kidnapped and it's been, and their kid has been kidnapped as it happens by someone who thinks that their kid was killed by lead poisoning. But then not only that, but it turns out that they are working for Ridge's landlady. Landlord. And uh, and yeah, and it all starts to come around. And she's in a, a stockholder in Massingham's company. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so it, it all starts to get a bit circular and... Connected, and this is only series three of Doomwatch, and these these kinds of things don't normally happen until sort of, well, you know, five or six series into most shows. So when they're on their way out, <clears throat> well, maybe when they're when they're on their way out. But it, it it it's a it's a thing that bugs me maybe more than it does other people when you get convenient coincidences like this because I I. I, I tend to think that when shows are new, there's a lot more attention paid to the the details of the story like this. And later on, when there's there's some real confidence in the show, and this is definitely, you know, at this point, I wouldn't say this is a show on its way out. I mean, looking at this episode, because it, it, if it is shifting, and I, I think it is, it's still quite confident as a sort of uh, semi-political thriller and and it and it move it, it moves along as a lick and gives you a satisfying ending and all the rest of it it is just that along the way you have to suspend your disbelief about how everyone else is actually related to everyone else in some way you know it it definitely it, it definitely noted on me that that it just far far too many link connections in this episode 
were it it, it, it was too far fetched. It, it was it was just ridiculous. I mean, I realize that there are only you know what five hundred people in Britain. So, I mean, these coincidences <laughs> will happen once in a while. Well, I did but... think that in the sense that they, they, you know, they're all they're all probably in the same sort of Westminster circles and so forth. And they they all probably do live quite close together. But even allowing for that, it did seem awfully incestuous. Yeah. It, it, and, and the fact that that the driver would go to Ridge... You know, and it's like, oh, who would I go to? Oh, I know the guy. It just, it just, yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't gel. It doesn't gel in that way. Um, and it, it, it seems like it would not be hard to put that right. You know, what, what is the point of actually having her use his apartment? Well, what, given, what is the payoff for the that other, other than... Given all the other coincidences, it's not that surprising that she's using his apartment it i think i think the point about it is you've got a relatively large cast for the episode and therefore if all of the all of the people you had connected with ridge's story and all of those people you had connected with the unleaded story were actually different people you'd be doubling up a lot of the parts the budget probably wasn't there for it it is a large cast it is a large cast compared to an average doom watch episode it feels like hmm hmm but then, you know, the part of the landlady, did we really need to see them interview her? You know, she, she didn't really add a whole heck of a lot to it. Well, um, I wondered, I wondered so that at the point where they were interviewing her. I thought, why are we seeing this interview? She must be the kidnapper. And of course, she was a crucial connection to the kidnapper. And so that was sort of the reason. But I, whether you, you know, needed when, when, that connection or not. I, I got to tell you, when they started talking to her, Within a couple of sentences of of her starting to speak, I I went ah she's Ridge's landlady, hmm. because the fact that they had wasted their time with that whole stuff about I'm the maid, not the landlady. I work for the landlady, you know. Yeah, and then when yeah, they said, oh, yeah, I was in yeah. the car with my maid, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that's totally Ridge's landlady. That that Good is, spot. but why, you know? But why is <laughs> that Ridge's landlady? <laughs> <laughs> yeah there, and there, I it feels like it, was, it feels like it's a, it it has no purpose in the story it has only its only purpose is in the convenience it provides for the production to be able to just have one one character one actor fulfilling these different functions within the plot yeah so uh what else have we got on this episode the only thing that i've got down here that i wanted to mention is that I really thought that the actor playing Massingham Jr. was an absolute hoot. I mean, what a star. Child actors aren't <laughs> yeah. always the best, but he was terrific. He, he, he played a few roles around that age, uh, and then uh, uh, I apparently didn't continue on into the acting game as he got, got older. Oh, there was up. one thing. I did look him up by accident. I looked him up by accident. I was I I looked on imdb and i saw the name massing Stephen dudley and i go oh yeah he he's, he's son? In, i don't know if he's the producer's son but i think he was in an episode of doctor who as well ah. i think he was in a couple of things i actually knew of i i looked him up by mistake and saw that and i go wow and the reason i looked him up is because massingham senior was driving me crazy it's like i know that guy 
I know that guy. I recognize that guy. I cannot, for the life of me, place that guy. And he's, he's of course, Professor Sorensen in uh, Planet of Evil and Doctor Who, which is what I found out after I looked him up. But like I said, I, I looked up the wrong, I looked up the wrong Massingham when I saw that. I'm like, huh, no, yeah, it doesn't. I, I knew it was a well-known, I knew it was a well-known face. He, he was good, he, but he I, was in the was, Avengers. Yes, that was it. He was in the Avengers. Um, in fact, he was, was in it one, twice, and he was in the New Avengers once as well. One thing I, I, I want to say that that bothered the heck out of me at the end of the episode was, uh, well, what are they going to do with her? They, they probably won't do anything with her. I mean, she didn't really do anything wrong, did she? In fact, our son's really looking forward to seeing <laughs> her again. Like, oh, that is just terrifying at every level. Mom is mom is like, oh, we can forgive her for kidnapping our child. In fact, maybe we could hire her to be his nanny. <laughs> this is what almost like sounds like she's saying. It it's I think it I think it might be supposed to parallel the, the, the way in which we're supposed to forgive Ridge for threatening to kill millions of people with anthrax. Because it could uh, be. it did seem to me a bit strange that they weren't going to prosecute him. It, it is a bit wrong-footed, uh, I thought, with the child thing, because it's a, a child kidnapping. Um, mm. I don't know, Ridge. I mean, he's a good guy, basically. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't really kill any of those people with the anthrax. He just he just mailed it to them. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, that is weird. But uh, I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a little bit. Um, country issue you, you know your comment about how you're really surprised america got there ahead of britain yeah. uh with regards to the pollution and chlorinated chicken this this is uh when i heard that it's like it's britain of course slightest slightest case of possible mental instability and you're gonna let him off the hook that that is that's kind of the diminished capacity isn't that the term they use in britain for uh, uh diminished for responsibility perhaps diminished responsibility yeah i mean don't they just, just let them go then because you know you can't be held accountable for that uh so i mean that, that that i saw that and i thought well they obviously committed him to a, a sanatorium so they have a they have a a judgment of insanity on him and if they don't prosecute insane people which you know even in the united states you can get off although i think I think I think Trump's government is trying to eliminate that. Of course he is. Um, somehow. He's going to regret I read something that about day. that yesterday. <laughs> well, he won't live to regret it, I don't think. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, yeah, I, I just, I just kind of took it as like, okay, well, in Britain, you know, once he's cured, he's fine. He didn't do it. It was the insane ridge and the insane ridge is gone. So, but... I, I agree that perhaps holding millions of people potentially to being murdered probably is a prosecutable crime that should result in some sort of, not just, oh, you've lost your job. Um, I definitely thought some sort of caution should have been issued. It's probably not again. allowed. Yeah, not allowed near any anthrax facilities for the rest of his life. Um, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Write out 90 times. Do you have anything else? I must not hold the world to ransom with anthrax. No, no, I don't have anything else. I have checked and, and Wikipedia tells me Stephen Dudley is indeed Terence's son. So there we go. 
Well, nepotism. No wonder he thinks it's okay for Quist to be hiring <laughs> Ann Tarrant as a consultant in his work. I, I will say I did uh, one thing I noticed that was weird in this episode was when they were searching for the child, they were doing the little sort of montage, that piece of music they were playing, Street Beat, um, was, it's obviously uh, stock music, not not custom written for this episode, was just totally out of place. It, it just, it just, and I knew that tune from somewhere else which I probably already posted somewhere on Facebook. It's, it came, I know it from Spider-Man, the cartoon series from the sixties mm. where they used a lot of stock music that had that sort of brassy sound. And uh, I tracked the album down and sure enough, a bunch of the other music from Spider-Man was in there too. But it's just obviously something that they picked up and said, what would be a good tune for cops looking around searching for a kid? And because I don't think I've ever noticed any music in Doomwatch apart from the theme song to date. <laughs> Have you? I can't say it stands out, but then I can't say that this particular... Maybe music. a sting or we, two? We, we def I definitely remember commenting on the music in Public Enemy, actually, because there's that funky montage sequence, and I, I remember... Yes, there is. You're right. There was that funky montage season, and we did comment on it. Yeah, that, that was different. That was different. But then that whole montage sequence with, with still images and, you know, people pointing and holding test tubes and working and things and uh, was very, very different from anything else that we've seen previously in Doomwatch as well. Yes. So a little bit. They're going a little out on a limb here. They're experimental. All right. Uh, how many episodes do we jump next time before we get to uh, an existing Just episode? Just one, I believe. Skipping one, or this is the next episode in in season. No, no, we 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 skip the the next episode is without the bomb, which is missing. So the next episode we'll be looking at is hair trigger, which is the episode after that. All right, hair trigger. Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.